The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is a newscast for episode 164 for the week of May 11th, 2020. Alex, a happy Mother's Day. Yeah, happy Mother's Day to you too, Rob. Since we are both mothers, we can celebrate. Well, we can uh, at least look at mothers across a table and say uh, thank you. So thank you to Kristen and, and uh, thank you to Tama for, for what they do. Uh, I'm, I meant we're, we're bad mothers. Yeah, we, we are bad mothers. Uh, there's no R in that word. It's mother. Yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, uh, once again, thanks to them. And uh, we appreciate all that good stuff going on there. Exactly. Uh, we do have some housekeeping type activities. Uh, we'll remind you guys that we have a Slack channel if you want to be a part of it. We got over 1,400 of our closest friends in the Denver and uh, larger Colorado co uh, security community getting together, talking about all kinds of good stuff. Uh, this week has been hard to keep up with, a lot of good conversations. We also have a mailing list, Rob, in case you didn't know. Uh, if you go to the website, colorado-security.com, scroll to the bottom, there's a form for you to fill out with your email address. Um, to let us know you want to receive an email every week with the show notes. Um, you'll be the first and only people to get those. You know, uh, you know, we just have that whole website, colorado-security.com. That's a good place for you to spend, you know, let's say 10 minutes. If you spent 10 minutes on that website, you could probably find just about everything going on there. And uh, you'd get to know a lot about different groups going on in town and the events coming up. So I think it's worth spending a few minutes on that website just for all this kind of information. Uh, you know, extra clicks are appreciated too if you want to, you know, needlessly click on some things. That's fine. Raise uh, the stats up. Uh, but don't DOS us. We don't need that kind of clicks. No, not quite that much. Um, uh, you, could also, um, you could also rate us and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite uh, podcast listening service, whether that is uh, through iTunes or the Google Play Store, um, through Spotify, or you know anywhere else where you can get fine podcasts. Um, that way you'll get it delivered to your podcast player every week. And by rating us, you'll let people know uh, that we're awesome. We'd also love it if you tell a friend about the podcast and about the movement. Uh, hopefully get those folks involved with Slack and, and into a bigger group. We'd love to have more folks as a part of what we're doing. Uh, and of course, if you would like to support us financially, we do have a Patreon campaign. Uh, you can sign up for that and help cover the costs that we have at Colorado Equals Security. All that Patreon money goes back uh, into producing Colorado Equal Security content and back into the community. Uh, a big thanks to those who are supporting us. I, I'm so appreciative of those folks who are doing it. Um, we, we, we know it's tough times right now, and we're thankful that those who, who do donate are doing so. So um, you know, keep it up, and we appreciate you guys. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the news. Uh, first, big news this week is Conga, local tech company here in Broomfield. They were acquired this week for $715 million. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting, um, kind of out of left field. I guess I don't really follow uh, the market that Conga is in, so maybe there were rumors about it, but I hadn't heard anything previously. Uh, they were acquired by Aptus, uh, which is out of San Mateo. Um, and Aptus is owned by uh, Tama Bravo, which owns uh, Logarithm also. Um, and they're actually going to combine the companies, but keep the Conga name. That's pretty awesome. And, and it's going, you know, they, they do a lot of uh, kind of work process management, document management, lifecycle stuff at Conga. Um, this new company is, is really playing in the Salesforce world. I get the impression that they kind of uh, work with and compete against Salesforce, kind of depending on, 
on the situation. So uh, obviously, you know, it's a big, it's a big world there and there's a lot of room, a lot of business uh, exciting to see. And hopefully this is going to be good news for, for the Congo folks. Yeah, I, I did think it was an interesting line in the article. It said, together, the combined company expects to compete better within the Salesforce market. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I don't think of Salesforce as a market, but I guess it is. It's pretty big. All right, yeah. moving on. Uh, next story this week is, is Techstars, which is really the, the big um, startup accelerator here in, in Colorado, up in, in Boulder. Um, they are announcing a new uh, accelerator that's going to really f- be focused on workforce management, um, which is driven by the kind of what's happening here with coronavirus and, and kind of the changing landscape of, of workforce in this new world. Yeah, they're uh, starting this accelerate, accelerator in partnership with Zoma Lab, Strata Education Network, and Colorado Thrives. And they're going to have 10 startups in this cohort uh, for a 13-week program that's starting in November. Oh, pretty cool stuff. And, and really what they're trying to do is, is they're looking for companies that are, are focused on bringing new ways of getting uh, talent uh, networked and, and connected with potential jobs and educated in this new world. So, so really it's all about t- talent development, talent establishment, um, you know, connecting those that workforce with the new uh, jobs that are going to be coming in the next uh, couple of years. Yeah. I think, um, you know, getting any more new companies in those kind of fields is a great thing uh, to help get people employed and reemployed and uh, everything else that we're going to need in this kind of environment. Uh, pretty good stuff. And of course, they, they're not just looking in Colorado. This is a global search, but this is a, a Colorado-based accelerator. So cool stuff. Very good. Uh, next, uh, there was an article in the Business Journal talking about three tech companies which are seeing opportunities in Denver uh, despite COVID-19. Yeah, they, they had three tech companies that we know. I think we've talked about all of them at some point. Jump Cloud, which does like cloud-based identity management, account management, um, you know, as as people are moving more from their on-prem stuff to the cloud, that's really an opportunity for Jump Cloud to get uh, tied in, and it looks like that's you know been a big movement here since COVID took over. Yeah, uh, second one is Zactly, um, and they do uh, software for for salespeople to you know get commissions and other things like that, um, and you know they're seeing that. Uh, things are still going well for them. Uh, you know, they're seeing a slowdown, but, um, you know, keeping their, their products going. Sounds like they're doing okay. Uh, yeah. And the third one is Quizlet, which is a, a an online education, uh, basically quizzes, right? Um, that they're seeing a lot more usage um, as everyone's had to shift to online school. Quizlet's actually having a pretty good run. Yeah, good for them. Good stuff. Cool, cool to see the companies that are, that are thriving through this process. Somebody's got to. Yeah, absolutely. Next story, uh, there's a, a company in Golden called Phase Change, um, and they are looking to make developers more efficient. Specifically, they, they have a really specific mission right now is to, is to help make developers be efficient with COBOL, you know, old code when, when all the new developers don't know how to use COBOL, don't know how to write in it. Yeah, so um, they're, they, they still call themselves a startup, even though they're 15 years old. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's actually a cool idea, the product that they are developing it's basically um, in an AI buddy, you know, an, an extra coworker to help you um, if you are coding. So if you are somebody that had to, wasn't say a COBOL expert and had to pick up COBOL, um, you know, because you didn't have the COBOL resources or, you know, something like that, uh, then, you know, it can uh, help you make, help make you more effective uh, when coding in COBOL. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. I know, I know uh, you and I have both worked at companies that had COBOL um, as a, a core part of some really mission critical applications. And, and there's always this concern, right? Well, there's that one guy who knows how to do this. If he's not right. around, who can fix it? Um, and this is going to start to really address that concern. If they're successful, I think there's a really good market opportunity for them. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine that, uh, you know, those one guys out there could, uh, could even get some help from, uh, from an AI assistant as well. Yeah, I bet they'd love that. Yep. Uh, next, uh, we had talked about this previously. Um, Cognizant had suffered a ransomware attack. Um, I think it started in, in April, if I'm uh, remembering, yeah, right. maybe even in March. Um, but they, they made an announcement that uh, they were going to expect to lose between 50 and $70 million from this ransomware attack. Yeah, this was then their earnings call talking about um, you know, what their projections look like. Uh, this is a big deal. Um, there, there were some new details from this. Obviously, the, the kind of the range of how much this is going to cost them, 50 to 70 million, that's, that's material. That's a big deal. A couple of other interesting things to me that popped out. Number one, they, you know, as they talked through this, they said uh, this only impacted internal cognizant systems, no customer systems, no cu customer networks, um, it but it significantly impacted their ability to work remote because um, it was impacting uh, work from home setups and it was, it was impacting their, the laptops that were being used for work from home. So they really just massively impacted their employees, right? You know, just a couple of weeks after having to make this shift out of the office and into a work from home full time. Yeah. Um, I think it's a positive that it didn't affect customer systems, but if you can affect the systems that are being used to build laptops yeah, you, you have to wonder if there was anything else fishy that got in those laptops that then, you know, maybe trickled in or uh, had data trickle out of customer systems. Uh, yeah. And and, there's a know. lot of suspicious looking stuff about this one that really the, the way that the customers um, talked about it, it looks like a bunch of customers of Cognizant had reached out to the media saying, you know, initially Cognizant wasn't very forthcoming about the situation. It looked like, you know, potentially we were impacted. Um, and, and I will point out that this 50 to $70 million estimate includes lost revenue as a, you know, as a result of this breach. So right. it's not just like hard costs. This is like, you know, reputational impact, you know, long-term customer retention impact. So there's a lot of details kind of tied up into that. Yeah, they did mention it in the article that some customers had paused some of their services um, until the customers could get a better handle on exactly what was going on, and uh, until they were, you know, more comfortable that their uh, the services Cognizant was providing weren't causing any risk to those companies. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm glad to see that this is coming around. Of course, we've talked about it before. Cognizant, while they're not a Denver headquartered company, they did buy Trizetto, which was here in, in town, and, and a lot of uh, the folks in the Denver community work or have worked at Cognizant over the years. Uh, next, um, our friends Root9B, um, or R9B as they seem to be uh, portraying themselves more often recently, they signed an agreement with uh, Baker Hughes to expand their cybersecurity offerings. So Baker Hughes, uh, they have a company called Nexus Controls, which is really big in the energy technology organizations, and apparently do, they, they do a lot of training there. So now... Um, Root9B is going to be able to use Baker Hughes or, or Nexus Controls to deliver their services, their managed services into that new industry where I assume R9B didn't have a ton of exposure previously. Right. Yeah. So uh, basically a, a reseller agreement, but uh, yeah, I mean, good for them to get into an area that I'm, I'm sure needs some uh, MSSP MDR help. Um, 
So congratulations to them to uh, be pushing forward into a new market. All right. Well, next story is one that I will stay uh, totally silent about other than I'll just read the headline. Uh, Ping Identity, we, we reported the first quarter 2020 results and provided an outlook for the second quarter and the rest of the year. So that's all, you know, that's out there. That's public information. You're welcome to say whatever you want to, Alex. Yeah. So um, I've read through some of it um, and uh, did not discuss it with Rob. The uh, Some good numbers in there. Um, looks like around 20% increases in things like ARR and revenue. Uh, from uh, previous year and previous quarter. Uh, so those are all good things, uh, some positive numbers and cash flow. So all the stuff that's in here looks like uh, good stuff for Ping Identity. They did note um, that guidance is going to be a little squirrely right now just because of all the COVID-19 uncertainty, um, but uh, not necessarily related to how the business is going in general, but just the general business climate. So uh, hopefully that is not something that affects uh, ping too much, but uh, obviously it is going to be something that affects everybody these days. All right. Next story we have is Red Canary has some news. They have, they have a, actually have a new agent that they're supporting. You know, generally they started off with um, carbon black bit nine um, as their, I guess it was actually um, the carbon black, the ED, EDR um, that was their original product that they offered their service on top of. And since then, they've extended it to quite a few additional EDRs. I think they, they went to CrowdStrike next and Endgame, and there's been some others as well. Um, so now they've now come up with a, a new deal with Microsoft's um, ATP, um, or Defender ATP, um, to have the same Red Canary backend offering uh, looking at the telemetry coming out of the Defender ATP product. Yeah, so I mean, it's pretty cool. Um, I have heard good things about uh, Defender AP, ATP in general. Um, I, it's a horrible uh, acronym because, you know, ATPs protect you against APTs. Um, and that just gets confusing. But uh, I heard good things about the product and then layering Red Canary on top of it to give you, you know, more intelligence and monitoring. Uh, sounds like a pretty good thing to me. Yeah, pretty good stuff. I'm glad to see them moving forward there. Uh, next, the National Cybersecurity Center we had talked um, a little while back about their Secure the Vote initiative. Uh, they announced some webinars that they have coming up um, that they are going to be presenting around this topic. So I think we've got uh, two that are, uh, I guess it's every week. The first one is this week on the 12th, uh, then one on the 19th, and then the, the third one on the 26th of May. Pretty good stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do, and hopefully they can help not just Colorado, but the larger uh government organizations with keeping the vote secure. Yeah. All right. Last story, uh, yet another uh, training one. And this is really based on, I've, I only picked this because it's two local companies who are partnering together. A uh, logger them has selected Optive as an authorized training partner. I think it's really cool to see those guys working together. Obviously uh, Optive is not only the, the biggest um, Colorado uh, value added reseller, but they're actually the globally the biggest uh, security only bar. Um, and Logarithm, the big, one of the big few security companies in Denver, they're going to be working together. Optiv is now delivering training classes for Logarithm. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I think previously the training classes came directly from Logarithm. Um, and, you know, not that Logarithm is, uh, is small, but I would imagine that that was something that was fairly hard to scale, especially for an in-person kind of class. So, uh, getting in uh, a company that has services that can give those trainings is a good thing. 
All right, good stuff. That is it for our news. Let's move over to the Slack message of the week. A big thanks to Andre Gaeta, who has been sponsoring us and, and giving, you know, each week we get to give one prize out to someone who says something interesting or you know, thought provoking in the Slack channel. Andre gets one item out of the Colorado Equal Security Store to, to give those guys a nice piece of swag. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, this week's winner is Mike Pedrick. Congratulations to Mike. Uh, he posted about the upcoming free ISACA C-Risk course that uh, the ISACA chapter here will be giving. They normally do these trainings in person, but obviously with the uh, everything that's going on, they're going to be doing that virtually. Um, and Mike is actually the uh, the training coordinator, I believe, still for the uh, these trainings with the ISACA Denver chapter. Um, I think I'm not sure if he is doing the uh, actually specifically. Yeah, he's delivering this training, and and that's yeah. the reason I picked it out is because um, not only is it you know it's good to see these things in the Slack channel, but you know it's a big thanks to Mike for he's giving a lot of his time, volunteering a lot of time to do these, you know, prepping to do the training and then doing the training themselves. He's been doing this for quite a while. Yeah. I think it's great stuff, and like to see him recognized for that. Congrats to Mike. He will get uh, one item out of the Colorado Equal Security Store. Cool. All right. Let's go ahead and move over to events. You know, as a reminder, we do have our calendar events on the website. And frankly, you know, these next couple of weeks, Alex, they look kind of like pre-COVID levels of events. Yeah, we're, we're starting to get back up there. People are figuring out how to do virtual events. And so we're starting to think, see things pick back up. Uh, the first of those things is actually uh, really interesting looking. Um, ASIS is doing an event called Detecting Elevated Skin Temperature with uh, FLIR, Convergent, and ASIS. So this is uh, a virtual event that they're talking about using thermal energy, ther excuse me, thermal imaging uh, to detect people that might have um, a temperature from COVID-19. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, next, the Colorado Springs ISSA ch chapter is doing a number of May online events. Um, so I think they're doing one per week. So the 14th is the second one. We actually missed the one last week. I didn't, I didn't see that series until too late, uh, but it's pretty cool. There's going to be other events. So obviously if you're in the Springs and you, and you're already a part of that ISSA chapter, you should make these. But if you've always kind of wondered what's happening down to the South and you're Denver folks, this would be a good chance to get a, a virtual tour of their meetings. Yeah, uh, Northern Colorado chapter is also doing their May chapter meeting virtually on the 14th. On the 21st, Women in Security is doing a virtual event. This is a panel discussion on the impacts of COVID-19 to our lives, business, and information, cybersecurity, and compliance. Uh, also on the 21st, uh, Colorado Springs ISSA is doing the third session that Rob mentioned. And finally, DC303 is doing a virtual event on the 22nd. Good stuff. Uh, let's move on over to jobs. Rob, does Ping have any jobs? Yeah, I got two jobs in the security team that we're looking to fill right now. I'm looking to hire a product security engineer. This is someone who does have a development background and is able to really embed closely with development teams to help us uh, ensure product security is, is embedded from the beginning of the development cycle. Um, we're also looking to hire a GRC analyst. And this is kind of a jack of all trades uh, GRC analyst position that doesn't have to have much experience. Uh, will help us, help us do risk assessments, policies, uh, uh, vendor risk management, to, uh, fill out RFPs for our customers, kind of uh, really have their hands in a lot of different areas of GRC. Empower Retirement is looking for a senior security engineer. CenturyLink is hiring an information security engineer one, Federal SOC. Newmont Mining is looking for a senior manager of cybersecurity delivery. Davida is hiring a senior IT auditor focused on assurance. Uh, Booz Allen is looking for a red team senior. Twitter is hiring a senior infrastructure security engineer. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Uh, New Relic is looking for a senior cloud security engineer. And finally, Wells Fargo is hiring an adversarial cyber operations specialist, ISC6. I do yeah, not I know put what that one in here this week, is. Rob, just because of that job title. It looked pretty <laughs> crazy. I have no idea. Is there some kind of government thing going on here with this ISC6? I don't know, but uh, it was, that's an interesting title for sure. Well, if you work for Wells Fargo or know what ISC6 stands for and you want to let us know, uh, that would be great. I'd love to have that, that it's scratched. Sweet. Uh, well, that's it for the news. Uh, we do have a, a feature guest this week, and it is Scott Gerlock, our friend uh, oh. who is who's co-founder and the, the chief security officer over at Stackhawk. <laughs> uh, previous to Stackhawk, he was the CISO over at SendGrid, you know, right before they were uh, acquired by Twilio. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing this interview. He sat down with John Hubbard, and uh, they had lots of good conversation. Good stuff. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Chris Martinez, CISO at Digital Globe. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Hey there, Colorado Equals Security. This is John Hubbard. I'm sitting here with Scott Gerlach. Scott, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Doing fine, thanks. It's springtime in Colorado. It's getting warm. Are you thinking of playing some golf soon? You know, I, I got to wait a couple weeks. It's the first, this is like the first weekend where it's actually warm. Uh -huh. So everyone's at the uh, So it's too crowded. So you got to right wait a little bit uh -huh. and then you can go <laughs> and have fun. When everyone else starts hiking. That's right. Mountain biking. Yeah. Okay. You've been golfing for a while? I started playing golf when I was 12, I think. Okay. From a young age. And then have you uh, improved over time? No, God, no. No? Uh, <laughs> I played golf in high school on the high school team. Uh-huh. Um, and did poorly. Okay. The high school team was small, so I was on the team, technically. <laughs> and then, you know, drop it here, drop it there, pick it back up, those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Uh, it's just one of those things. You, golf is really good time until it's not, and then you're like, okay, I need a break. Then, yeah, take some time off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I honestly have never gotten the appeal, and I think it's because I think I would get really frustrated out on the links, you know, like when the ball doesn't go where I want it to, when I bowl, I get really upset. And I think that would be magnified even more on the golf course. Yeah, golf, the most fierce competitor on the golf course is your brain. Mm -hmm. And it's it, it's tricky. Yeah, it is a tricky thing to beat. You have to psych yourself into it, not That's psych right. yourself out of it. Right. Okay. Any golf heroes or role models you look up to? There's a lot of famous names out there. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I'm a fan of Tiger because his birthday is like one day before mine. Okay. So yeah. as he's getting to be a pro, I'm like the same age. Like, uh -huh. cool. That could be me one he, day. He did some bad stuff. I'm going to, you know. Uh, sure. But that doesn't mean I don't still like him. Okay. But I also like uh, Brooks and Spieth, Jordan Spieth, and, you know, there's a handful, Rory McIlroy, mm -hmm. those guys. Mm -hmm. Do you watch golf when there's the PGA tournaments? On I do watch some golf. Much to the chagrin of my family. Yeah, because it is, you know, can be divisive on whether it's entertaining to watch a golf tournament it, or not. Well, so my wife used to hate it. I get up before everyone on the weekend, so mm -hmm. if golf is on when they come downstairs, they're like, oh, not again. <laughs> uh, and my wife did not play golf, but I got her golf lessons. Did she enjoy that? And now she's like, how are these guys so good? Right. Because she understands the difficulty of the game. Uh-huh. 
Uh, and so now she like takes a little bit of enjoyment in watching them play. My daughter does not at all. She hates it. She's like, I'm out of here. But your wife has a higher appreciation after seeing those people hit the ball 300 yards. Ma maybe a little a bit. Smaller bit. Yeah, okay. a smaller bit. Okay. Well, you mentioned you got started playing golf when you were young. Did you grow up in Colorado or somewhere else? No, I grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota. Okay. So the booming metropolis of Rapid City. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. Mount Rushmore and some other attractions around That's there. it. Black Hills. You've named all the attractions. <laughs> well, there's the uh, Reptile <laughs> Museum. Okay, there's Reptile Gardens. There's <laughs> there's the, uh, <laughs> what's it called? The Mysteri Mystery Area. I can't remember what the name but it is. There's the cave, too. We went to the Many caves. Patterns. Many caves. Jewel Cave. Rushmore okay. Cave. My One of my favorite things to do is to tell people they put the Mount Rushmore faces in the Mount Rushmore cave in the wintertime. <laughs> People are like, wait, really? How big is that thing? I'm like, it's not as big as it looks like on TV. So Rapid City is only a six hour drive from Denver area. So highly recommended. If anyone wants to take a road trip this summer, they yeah. can go be a tourist. But Rapid maybe City. don't go that fast because it's like a six and a half, seven hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> through some of the beautiful country of Nebraska and Wyoming to get there. That's right. Okay, so you graduated high school, Rapid City, Yep. and you wanted uh, to head somewhere else? Is that a fair assumption? Uh, let's say maybe. Yeah. Uh, so when you grow up in, in South Dakota, in Rapid City, when I grew up in Rapid City, mm -hmm. in the wintertime, the only thing you could do is just be inside and watch the news, and, and the news there's that state down south that's always like 70 or 80 degrees in the wintertime, uh -huh. Arizona. Um, and I've got some relatives that are down there, and I was like, oh, that looks like a great place. But in the summertime, <laughs> you're outside all the time, and so you miss the part where it's 118. In Phoenix. In Phoenix. Yeah, Tampa area. Okay. So. Yeah, so I uh, graduated high school, um, went to college, got myself kicked out for academics because – Strangely, I don't like doing school so much. Okay. Or maybe the structure of some some of the school stuff. Like, I had to take gym. I was in, in college. I, yeah, I was in a comp sci uh -huh. uh, computer engineering co class course structure, and my very first thing was gym. Interesting. The first two semesters, I had to take gym. That was your. I passed class. those classes. <laughs> um, but you know, like. Just that kind of weird stuff. Like, I did really well in my computer classes. Mm -hmm. I didn't do great in my English classes. Which you could probably tell if you listen to this whole podcast. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, clearly that guy did not English. <laughs> um, but then I got myself suspended, ultimately. Okay, so you decided to pursue other paths. Yeah, so then I was delivering car parts, which is a lucrative career. Driving a truck. Driving around. a truck around mm -hmm. with car parts making minimum wage or something like that. And uh, that was going nowhere real fast. Maybe not what you had in mind when you wanted to study computer science. Something like that. Uh -huh. They had a computer there. So I got to type <laughs> on it every now and then. Um, but then I got a, I got a advertisement for a school in Tempe. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called Collins College at the time. It was something else. Now defunct. All right. But uh, they had they had a brand new PC networking course, associate's degree thing. Mm -hmm. And that appealed to you? That appealed to me. And so I went and begged and pleaded. I was like, I really want to do this thing. I'm dead. And they were like, 
okay, it looks like you actually do. So then when I went and did that. Okay. So they, they wrote the check to they, they get wrote a check tuition taken care to get of. me down there yeah. and we drove my beat up Toyota down to Phoenix and it died shortly thereafter because hot. All that good stuff. Right. Um, but I did really, really well at that school. Okay. It was Great. my jam. Were you working during that time also or focused on school? Working as well. I was working in a call center for the Ramada Inn properties. It's like mm -hmm. Ramada. Thank you for calling Ramada. Yeah, it's Ramada. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was doing that and, and uh, doing the, the college thing and, you know, just working on consuming computer books. Right. So you were learning not just in the classroom, but on your own time as yeah, well. Yeah, constantly. Okay. And then did that help you land your first computer job? Yeah. So the first job out of there was at Kyocera. The, um, the printer company? Solar down solar. there. But yes, yeah, same company. Uh -huh. uh, so Kyocera Solar was in, ten, no, sorry, Scottsdale. Um, and I got a job as like a help desk system admin, something, something, something. Fix it guy. Yeah, fix it guy. Yeah. Um, which I have mad respect for help desk, IT help desk. Mm -hmm. Because... I click the thing and now my computer doesn't work is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, People are not always lying about that. Yeah. So I was there for seven years and, and graduated into like, didn't graduate into, but like worked my way from help desk and laptop or desktop support to bought a new cat 5,000 and I configured that all up for the, for the network, new switch. Um, firewall stuff, did, okay. some, did some SCO Unix administration <laughs> All right. before they went off the deep end and decided that they should sue everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so did that, um, it just kind of grew that, grew that network and the user population to a pretty big size and ran a couple of big implementations of ERP software and that kind of stuff. Okay, so we're in a lot of different hats, yeah. help desks, admin, application administrator, mm -hmm. all those different things. That's right. Okay. Anything specifically security focused or was that just like a strong foundation? Always, always security focused. Right. Like in the background, right? Like, uh -huh. um, we got to stand up our new exchange server. They had exchange when I got there and I got to keep upgrading it through mm -hmm. all the fun, uh, pre 2000 exchanges. <laughs> got ourselves spam bombed a bunch of times. And so I worked on setting up, uh, spam assassin and send mail through the old like compile send mail config stuff. All right. Which is good times. Um, put that into, into the DMZ, which they didn't have before we set it all up. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we started dropping tons and tons and tons of spam on the floor. Um, and that was the first, the first in, incarnation of giving users some kind of indication that something might not be right here. Because okay. we were prepending stuff to subject lines. Oh, your whatever you put in front of the exchange server was modifying. Yeah, the message. spam assassin stuff uh, was uh -huh. doing that. Uh, and it was working pretty well. Um, and then there was an acquisition. No, there wasn't an acquisition. There was the international, Kyocera International Incorporated, like parent company. The parent, yeah. They wanted to get more integrated in IT, and they had their own stuff. So a lot of stuff. Ah, okay. When when corporate came in, mm -hmm. it, it has to be this way. <laughs> That's right. Okay. And this was early two thousands or so. So uh, yeah, two thousand. 
99 to 2006. Yeah, so spam was still a big problem even back then. Oh, yeah. Email was taken off, becoming really more common, and then uh, people were getting sick of spam. Very, yeah, very it was, it was uh, I think it was just about to explode. Like, you'd get the random, like, porn mm -hmm. spam at that point. You didn't really get the pharma stuff, uh, the Viagra's and the whatever's. Right. Um, and very little of it was malicious, but there was the occasional, like, virus zip file. And, right. And Try to get you to open an attachment. Yeah. Yeah. And did your role change once the corporate Kyocera came in? It sure did. I almost had nothing to do. <laughs> in a bad way. So, yeah. So that was the point in time when I was like, look, I got to. I gotta go somewhere else because mm -hmm. this is just too small. Right. I'm not learning here. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for me, a hundred yards away was the GoDaddy headquarters. GoDaddy, the domain registrar That's right. web hosting company. So it was okay. it was Kyocera Solar, Alcor, the place that freezes heads, and then GoDaddy right down the street. Okay. So, so I decided GoDaddy was probably a better choice yeah. than freezing heads. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. So you started GoDaddy about 2006-ish. Yep. Started in the sock there. Yeah. Well, they didn't have a sock. Ah, so okay. when I started, there was I think there was six of us, and we were just doing kind of nine to five security stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, two, one user admin, a security engineer, and maybe four security people that were doing stuff there and hilariously we could get through all of our security systems every day and look, look at the alerts, investigate them, resolve them and get through every security system and all the alerts they, they generated at that point in time. Because there weren't that many? Because it, there was a lot of stuff, but there was enough of us and not enough bad things happening at that right. point for, for us to be able to get through all of them. Well, I'm sure there's some information security professionals today who would kill for being able to get through their workload in one day. <laughs> well, in theory, yes. Right, right. <laughs> so it, was this picking up uh, logins or abuse or yeah. attempted attacks? Or uh, it was no attempted attacks. It was almost always legit, like trying to compromise servers, RDP traffic, mm. um, MySQL stuff, okay. PHP, backdoors, those kinds of things. We had signatures for all that stuff. Against GoDaddy's backend systems? Or no, against, against the, host, the, yeah, the hosting hosted. environment. Oh, okay. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. There was, again, the two big places that I've been lately, people don't really attack the company. Mm -hmm. They're attacking the infrastructure and the platform to, to leverage it to do something else with. There were the occasional like corporate corporate side type attacks, right? But more often than not, it was about the platform. Okay. Anything interesting pop up during your time in investigations that you can talk about? Tons of stuff. We had a bunch of nation state activity, which you wouldn't think was, you know, stuff that you'd see. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of uh, fairly large Asian country that like to mess around on our network and leave us notes. They would leave us notes. Really? Like talking or what? Well, they knew that we were looking at them and we were trying to set out, set tripwires here and there and mm -hmm. they'd leave us little text files like, hello, GD admins, <laughs> those kinds of things. Um, 
but we did it. I thought we did a really good job of trying to keep that under control. We never really had any data breach mm-hmm. stuff like customer breach stuff. So that was really good. It was, it was more of detect and respond quickly and shut things down. Yeah. And what did that response look like? Was it blocking IP addresses? Was it deleting accounts? It was uh, all of that stuff. <laughs> so, uh, Usually it's closing a vulnerability in somebody's website to start. That they didn't close themselves. Yeah, because that is, okay, so I tell this story a lot now because mm-hmm. of the product that we're working on at Stackhawk, but we had a product there that was called Secure or something. We were scanning people's WordPress sites for vulnerabilities because mm-hmm. it was happening constantly. We're like, dude, we can make a product out of this. People will know, uh-huh. and then they can fix it. Turns out GoDaddy customers, uh, mostly small mom and pop, think of like a coffee shop owner. Their business is running coffee shops, not upgrading not WordPress. <laughs> so everyone was like, cool, thanks for telling us. When can you fix that for us? And we, were, we didn't really have a, we can fix it for you package. Just point out the problems. We'll just point out the problems and, and that didn't really win for anybody. More, okay. more or less. Okay. So is the offering different now? Is there a way that you can tell GoDaddy manage my WordPress for me and keep it up to date? You know what? I don't know. I know they have managed WordPress, mm-hmm. uh, but if you're still self-hosting WordPress, then right. you can get yourself in the same trouble. <laughs> and that was before WordPress had like auto upgrade stuff. Mm-hmm. Before it would upgrade itself in place, and before the plugins would upgrade themselves mm-hmm. in place. It was like, you have to FTP in and upload new stuff and hope it doesn't break. And who's going to do that yeah. when they're trying to run a coffee shop? That's right. Yeah. So did you ever find any secrets to success to keep an entire nation state out? That, that doesn't sound like an easy task. It's not an easy task. You just try to stay one step ahead. Those are the definitions of advanced persistent <laughs> threats. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not an easy task. It's just, you know, you got to stay on top. Yeah. And so we have to staff and come up with creative ways to alert and respond automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I haven't been there for five, five, five years, so I have no idea what they're working on now. Sure. Could be completely different. Okay. And was everything, was that role that you worked in pretty much entirely in Phoenix or was there some level of travel or? No, it was all in Phoenix. Okay. At, at the time. That's GoDaddy's headquarters. GoDaddy was headquarters in Phoenix and we had a, Gilbert office and a, eventually a Tempe office. And now they're in Kirkland, Washington and in Sunnyvale, California and Austin, Texas. And you know, they're a huge company. Yeah. Spread out a little bit more. Yep. Uh, did they uh, go public while you were there? They sure did. Okay. What was that like? A uh, crazy roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Cause you have to kind of lay the groundwork for, socks and i'm sure you're already taking credit card payments yeah we, we had all that stuff in place so that wasn't actually as crazy as you think it was so we were already doing financial audits and web trust audits for our pki business the ssl business yes. um pci audits we we're a tier one merchant so we had to do qsas for a long long time sure so that all of that kind of security program stuff led to a pretty robust program itself mm-hmm. um, and so there wasn't a lot of scrambling uh, to take care of that there was some scrambling for access control and permissions and some of those things but it okay. wasn't it wasn't horrible um, 
it's definitely a different experience than what we kind of had to ramp up with at Sengrid. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's move into that then. So, um, GoDaddy, you were there through 2015 and then looks like you moved into Sengrid back in the Denver area. They were headquartered in Boulder at the time. Is that right? Uh, when I got here, the headquarters was pretty much, seemed pretty much to me to be in Denver. Okay. So they are square that time. Thing. Okay. How, how'd you make that jump from GoDaddy to Syngrid? Yeah, I was just looking for the opportunity to, to CISO somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, one of the people that was in charge of GoDaddy at the time, Warren Edelman, super good friend of mine, uh, was on the board at Syngrid. He's like, hey, they're looking for a security architect. I was like, that's right up my alley because that's what I was doing when I left. Mm -hmm. uh, left GoDaddy. Got here, talked to David Campbell, who was actually the CISO at the time. Um, seemed like a pretty good fit. And they were, they were just kind of reaching that uh, plateau where they're working on SOC 2 stuff. They're worried about denial of service, how to protect against that. They're making a more robust security program so they can go faster. Mm -hmm. And those things I had really good experiences to bring from GoDaddy. Sure. Um, to just be able to talk sanely about them. Right? right. And maybe is there some overlap there in terms of environments that both would be very customer focused, both with a low barrier to entry, anybody with a credit card can create an account. Yeah, totally. They're, those, those are both very much self-service SaaS right. kind of businesses. <laughs> uh -huh. um, maybe, maybe the term didn't exist when I was at GoDaddy, but they're, they're both very much uh, low barrier to entry, as you said. Um, Anybody can start wide, using it. Wide range of customers. <laughs> or start using it yeah, right off exactly. the bat. Yeah, exactly. So was that part of your uh, responsibilities was to make sure customers didn't use SendGrid to spam? There is actually a really good uh, abuse team at SendGrid that mm -hmm. lives under the support crew. Uh, I don't okay. know. That's where they were. I don't know where they are now uh, since Twilio. Um, but they were actually super strong at kind of doing the abusey stuff. And the, the trick there that we always had to toe the line on was how do we, how do we keep threat actors from using the platform illegitimately mm -hmm. and allow good customers to be able to send mail successfully right. quickly. <laughs> right right? Those, those two things are in opposition to each other because you think like, okay, if we hold on to mail, we can do some inspection stuff and then we can deliver it. That's not, that wasn't our business. That hurts. That's, the, yeah. That's not the same grid business. Like uh -huh. if you get yourself uh, an Uber and when you're done, you get a receipt like almost instantly. That's because it's coming through us. <laughs> right. So maybe not because, but that's, that's one of the pride points is from the time it hits our system to the time it goes out is sub seconds milliseconds yeah. yeah uh and so it makes spam spam hunting challenging mm -hmm. yeah i could see that you want to reduce the friction and let the legitimate stuff go through asap yeah yeah okay so you started there as senior director of information security and then did you end up getting that CISO goal that you set out for yeah so when david campbell decided to retire from that particular job uh then i was the CISO for year and a half okay something like that um it was i don't know as it was a crazy transition but i did learn a lot from 
about how to talk about InfoSec with the exec team. Mm-hmm. Um, I reported to the CFO, Yancy Spurl, okay. who's now the CEO at Digital Ocean, which is, sure. uh, to me, that's hilarious. <laughs> like he's in the mail business and mm-hmm. I came from hosting and then he left mail and went to, to hosting. hosting. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so was the security org part of IT or? No, separate? the security org was separate, but under the CFO. Interesting. And so he and I did a lot of like, how are we communicating the value of the security organization to the company? And what kinds of things do we tell the board of directors and, you know, stuff like how to, how to promote the security organization within the business and not make it just seem like another line item in the yeah. budget. And so what we, what we tried to do was really avoid chasing the hundred percent. Like, so we've got 900 vulnerabilities and, that English part. Uh, <laughs> 900 vulnerabilities, and we've got, we almost have them all patched because now we're at 236 patches or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That's just not information that people want to care about, especially at the board and exec level, um, or they shouldn't be caring about it probably. So, how'd you frame that differently then? It was more about what, uh, so I always talked about the big three risks here's the big three risks that are in the business. If Mm -hmm. something causes an existential threat to us, it's going to be in one of these things. And here's what we are or are not doing about it. Were those three unique to SendGrid? I don't think they were. So like, how would you break out that classification or who are you willing to share your secret sauce for the three? Yeah, I I don't think I want to share that particularly on an individual basis. I might do that. But, um, it, they're they're kind of issues that all organizations um, have a problem with. Mm-hmm. And the t- at the time, the Verizon deal with Yahoo was happening. Yep. And if you remember, the Yahoo board had no idea about the mass compromise that was going on. And subsequently, the deal got like a $2 billion haircut. Yep. I remember that. That was in the news. So my goal was like, hey, board, <laughs> this is stuff you're going to know. Uh-huh. Uh, and so if something happens in one of these areas, you'll know about it and you know about it now. And so like part of the board's role is, are we taking the right risks in the mm-hmm. right places? Those kinds of things. So we, we tried to engage that board in the, in the kind of the correct context. Sure. Instead of letting them kind of go, okay, no one has a story to tell me. So I'm going to ask questions and those questions are going to be how many vulnerabilities do we have? Right, because that's you know you can find those kinds of things mm-hmm. on the internet. That's not necessarily the right question. Yeah, that's not that's not the right stuff. Yeah. Like, okay, so there's 400 vulnerabilities. Why are they? Why are they important, or why are they not important? Right. And that's a much bigger conversation than mm. than just the individual holds. Okay. I think. And you mentioned an acquisition. Syngrid did end up getting acquired by Tulio, right? Were you Part of that process, yeah. So Sengrid went public before that. That's right. I which did is an IPO, and then we're that's right. Bought out. We did it the most smartest way ever. <laughs> uh, turned out well for everybody. Um, so we went public, uh, and then about a year later, the deal got announced with Twilio, mm-hmm. and I was part of that. I was working on some of the diligence while I was on vacation in South Africa. <laughs> so the time difference there was fun. I'm not exactly sure how. Jack Dorsey is managing his Twitter in Africa and blah, blah, blah. Uh, 
but it was interesting just kind of doing some of the some of the background work on the infosec program and what the things are um i think when twilio i think twilio was pretty surprised of how small the infosec team was at Syngrid mm -hmm. and still doing a pretty good job sure um kind of kind of directing resources in the right places uh and not hiring a ton of people they okay. they had a different idea of how they run it, wanted to run the infosec program and it that's requires much much more people mm -hmm. uh and i think they're in the middle of still doing that today okay so there's still some integration work going on between oh, yeah. denver and san francisco yep but I, I think uh, Twilio is pretty committed to Denver, from what I've read. Yeah, they're they're keeping that they're keeping that Sangrid office, which is three floors on in the eighteen oh one building. Um, and I know they're trying to focus on hiring people in the Denver area. Sure, sure. So all you job seekers out there, be sure to check out Sangrid's jobs page, or excuse me, Twilio now Twilio's job page. There you go. And then you had an opportunity to uh, kind of go out on your own with Stackhawk. Yeah. That right? All right. Let's talk about that. So the the deal kind of closed, um, and I wanted to go find something else to do at mm -hmm. that time. Um, they had a CISO. I wanted to be a CISO. So I took a couple months off, worked on my golf game, made my handicap go up instead of down, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Wrong direction. That's right. Um, I'm pretty sure golf has the the – game all wrong like higher scores should be better that's what i'm used to yeah yeah uh but i took three months off and this is the first time i got to take three months off in between roles it's always been like maybe two weeks right in between um and i set out some goals one was lower my handicap fail the other one was like work out and get myself in pretty good shape i did a pretty good job of that awesome. the other was find a job and i did a bunch of job interviews and I wasn't super excited about any of them. Like some of them seemed interesting, but I wasn't just like, yeah, this sounds awesome. None of them were calling your name. Yeah. Um, and so I got to, I had coffee with co-founder, my co-founder, um, Joni Clippert. She came from, she's the VP of product at VictorOps. Mm -hmm. And so she went through the Splunk acquisition and came out and was like, I think I want to start a company. And was doing a bunch of research about pen tests. Okay. And, and she likes to say how intellectually dishonest they are because you get a pen test once a year and right about the time the pen tester walks out the door, you release another deployment and the pen test is basically invalid. Sometimes. Sometimes, right? Yeah. But that, that's kind of the, the thesis of, of her story. And we sat down and had coffee and she's like, hey, I want to talk to you about pen tests. She's like, and I said, great. This is my favorite crappy topic because ultimately we, we're talking about application security right <clears throat> which is the biggest customer facing part of or externally facing part of most businesses mm -hmm. um, and i've always found appsec program the hardest program to build because it's it definitely has an external dependency mm -hmm. and that's the engineering team p.s it has another one the product team <laughs> um and so you can't just kind of do things in a in isolation like you can with sort of a security operations center or kind of monitoring and alerting. You can sort of do that stuff in isolation in the security team, but that this particular one is one of the most 
I think. One of the most integrated with other teams and external dependencies because you basically can't do any of it. You can only go consume, consume, consume. Hey, maybe we should a thing, right? So it's always hard because it's really hard to find good AppSec people sure. that are good at AppSec but also good at like building relationships mm -hmm. and not alienating people. Uh, the tooling out there today is okay. Um, some of the legacy AppSec dynamic scanners are terrible. Uh, static code analysis stuff is decent, um, but it's kind of noisy because it doesn't understand the context of the app. And a lot of times it'll it'll print out a report that has 400 findings uh, yeah. across your code base, and you don't know where to start. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, there's new tools out there. I asked and some of those other things that are kind of internal to the code that is protecting the code from itself. Mm -hmm. I don't know how well that works, but um, in a defense in depth program, that's great. Like do stuff on the code side mm -hmm. and have another thing backing you up in front. That's great. So we, we talked about that and, and I railed against it. And a couple of things that we did at SendGrid to allow engineering teams to self-service some of this risk, mm -hmm. uh, I think went fairly well. You, you might get a different opinion if you ask the engineers, but um, I think it went pretty well. We, we made a migration to, started a migration to AWS. Mm -hmm. And we were like, how are we going to do this? Because no one really knows how to AWS. And, no, and we don't have the manpower to middleman check everything that's going there. Right. So let's not do that. Uh -huh. So we talked to, you know, we talked to a bunch of players, Netflix and, and some other people figured out our account strategy and we're like, look, engineering team, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you admin control of your AWS accounts. Like you can be admin, do anything you want. We're going to on the side audit it with security monkey and then tell you about things that we find via Slack. So you deploy some stuff. We're going to Slack you about a thing. If you fix it, good to go. Okay. If you don't fix it, we will fix it close <laughs> for you. And sometimes fix it means delete it, and sometimes fix it means undo public access. Right, to restrict it to yeah. only internal teams. Those, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, and th there was a lot of, I think there was a lot of resistance to that at first, but people were, I think people ultimately were like, this is cool, I have the access I need to be able to do my job, and there's this thing that's got my back telling me about insecure things I put out into the world. In case I click the wrong checkbox or something. Click the wrong checkbox, write the wrong Terraform, uh -huh. those kinds of things. Ultimately, what they wanted was something that would help them check the Terraform, like a, sure. a linter. Uh -huh. um, and Are there Terraform linters out there? There is now. Oh, really? Yeah, there <laughs> okay. is one now. Okay. Um, but you know, that, was, that was maybe one of the first realizations I had that devs really don't want to put insecure stuff mm -hmm. into the world. They just can't know right now, right? It's, it's impossible for them to know for sure how secure or insecure their things are. So they just kind of internalize that and go, well, I write pretty good code. I'm assuming that what the security posture of it is pretty good. So it's not malicious. It's maybe more ignorance or... I wouldn't even say it's ignorance. I mean, ignorance has kind of a negative connotation. It's just mm -hmm. that they can't, there's not tools out there to know. Mm -hmm. Right. It, um, 
and when we go and try to train them, I, I always tell this story. I was just talking to Snowfrock last week. This is my favorite analogy for how this works. When the executive team goes, hey, we want to raise prices and see what that does to the top line and bottom line of the statements with the P&L. Mm -hmm. The accounting team doesn't go, cool, I'm going to teach you about the GL. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, and that's what we do when they're like, hey, I want to know some stuff about security. We're like, yes, excellent. Let's talk about risk, shall we? We're not just like, here's some tooling mm -hmm. that can allow you to, to make strong decisions. Yeah. Because even then we go and then check in with us and we'll tell you whether or not that's a thing you should do. It's so arrogant-ish of us to think that they can't make good decisions while they're building all of the stuff that makes the company work. So is that the market need that StackHawk is solving right yeah, now? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what we're trying to do is, okay. is give engineering teams the ability to do, uh, StackHawk right now is dynamic scanning, but dynamic mm -hmm. app scanning while they're writing code. So do it on a laptop while you're writing code, mm -hmm. put it back, put it into the CICD pipeline so commit. it's got your back yeah. at commit time or anybody else gets into that code and know that you're putting stuff out there that doesn't have severe security vulnerabilities to it. So where does the product live? Is it a API endpoint? Is it SaaS? Is it something that runs on my Jenkins? Instance all of those things. Okay. So the, the scanner uh, gets delivered via via Docker right now. Okay. So the scanner can be anywhere, right? That's right. one of the, the problems historically with DAST is mm -hmm. it has to live somewhere and then it can't have access to things, right? Whether it's laptops or internally or whatever. So but if it's a container, I could run it in my right. laptop. I could run it in AWS. Yep, and it uh, reports its findings back to the platform. So you can look at over time the posture of an application, better troubleshooting, like visualizations, those kinds of things. Um, so there's some web portal that it yep. owns home to. That's right. Does its reports. And we want to be able to catch stuff on laptops and in CI/CD, so that we're not we fix we're fixing things before they get to production. Okay. Those kinds of those kinds of things, and we we have an idea of of translating, retranslating security language from security person speak back to dev language. Mm -hmm. Instead of uh, 15 different acronyms for input sanitization, <laughs> we'll just call it input sanitization. Sure. Um, and then we also want to have an opinion. Here's the things that we think you should be fixing and these other things defer them or don't fix them or mm -hmm. whatever. If you come up with a bucket of empty time, some magic way, <laughs> fix these other things. But right now, you should be focused on this and this, and we're and we're trying to do that via uh, how important is the app to the company, and what kind of data does it handle? Okay, so it's not just critical, high, medium, low. That's it's, right. Takes in more context. Yeah, because that's the first thing that we ask when we have AppSec program. We go, cool. What does this thing do? How right. important is it to the business? Right. So let's just ask them right up front, mm. and then know, and, and then as a security team. You know, in a company that has a security team, there's tons of them that don't. So they, they get to pay a huge security tax when they're like, well, now we need security. And that, and that team has to come in and start fresh everywhere. Mm -hmm. So now there's a little bit that you can start building. Uh, and then the other thing is when the security team gets there, they can look at the same stuff and have a conversation about why someone chose not to fix a thing or deferred it or whatever. Sure. Instead of 
hey, you've got to fix this graph. Uh, you know, during I mean? the the black and white line. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Without any context, like all the vulnerabilities, we have to fix all of them. You know what I mean? Yep. And then, it, how's it going so far? It's uh, not quite a year since. It's been seven months. Okay. We got funded, first round of funding in July mm -hmm. of last year. Uh, we're about to launch Alpha for the platform this week, mm -hmm. which I think is March 9th. The week of March 9th, right? Do you have some early adopters? We've got a couple of people that have been running the scanner for us and, and giving us feedback about how that works and, and how developer-y it is. Uh -huh. um, that's been going really well. Yeah. The, so we're using Zap on the back end there as mm -hmm. the scanner. The world doesn't need a better scanner. The world needs an easier scanner. With easier to understand results. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we spent a lot of time making it easy to instrument. Zap has about, uh, let's see, 5,400 settings or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if that number's right, but it has a ton of settings. Lots and, of dials. And even as a person that uses Zap, it's, it, if you don't use it every single day, it's hard to get back into it and go, okay, what do I gotta do to make this thing run? So we took most of the really important settings and put them into a YAML config file. Oh, okay. So you can just fire up the config file, right. dump that in your repo, and scan, 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 scan. And then change one or two settings. Change one or two settings, yep. Okay, is it specific to any certain web application language? Nope. It is not. It, okay. It's a dynamic scanner. So if the right. app is running, right, it'll it'll scan the app. Okay. We, we're still, you know, there's still some single page app problems and mm -hmm. uh, REST API if the if it's not defined via Swagger or something like that. Right. Still some challenges there, but we're working on that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's the other thing that I mentioned when I was talking with Joni is like these static code analyzers are great, except for they're very very language specific, and if you're not running Java. Mm -hmm. And maybe Python and something else, you don't have coverage. Right. Right? Because that was the thing we ran into at, at Sengrid. There's, There's a lot of Go at Sengrid. Mm -hmm. There's no Go static code analysis. <laughs> so how do you do it? Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you're focusing on the dynamic side of things. So log into the app, start clicking, have your automated process, crawl everything. Yep. Okay. Well, that's really exciting. That's really cool. Is uh, your partner Joni? Is she based here in Denver as well? Yeah, Joni is here, and then our other co-founder Ryan Severance uh, came from Big Drops as well. Mm -hmm. uh, did a stint at Jump Cloud, mm -hmm. uh, but us three co-founded the company. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got ten people now, which is super crazy. Yeah, uh, growing fast. Yeah, and then. Uh, We'll see what happens this year. Right. We had we had a whole bunch of plans last month, and now we're like, hmm, do these plans still hold water with quarantine yourself and coronavirus <laughs> uh -huh. and, and all that stuff? that's in the news and right I, now. I think we're in a good spot. We, we had a really good plan on, on how to go out and, and kick the market and start convincing developers you can and should own this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, you know, we'll, we'll keep executing on that this year. and. Should be a pretty crazy ride. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're coming up on time. Is there anything we didn't cover today that you want to be sure to mention for the Colorado Vehicle Security Group? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I just want to thank uh, Rob and Alex for keeping the whole thing going and yeah. pushing it forward. And Our fearless leaders. That's right. <laughs> uh, Rob keeps hating on me because I keep shamelessly plugging Stackhawk in, the, <laughs> in one of the channels. He's like, uh, "That's for sales pitches, guy." 
but I, I like you. Yeah. But anyway. well, we don't want you banned from the Slack channel, <laughs> so fall in line, all right? Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> all right, well, thanks so much for your time, Scott. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Have a good one. Very nice to meet you, and I appreciate your time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.